Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Welcome everyone to Foothills Christian Church. I am Douglas Peak. I've been a full-time pastor about 33, 34 years, and I've been the lead pastor here at Foothills Christian Church for just over 25 years, and I would like to invite all of you to be a part of our community of faith. Uh, This is uh, who we are. We want you to know unequivocally Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. We want you to be connected to his family, and we want you to discover your mission in life. Often people have said the one thing that's kind of unique about Foothills is it's a church for the thinking person. And we like to really dig into, uh, challenge it, because of what we think, our assumptions. We like to look at history and philosophy. We like to look at cultural trends. We do all of this because we want to be a church that helps you know what you believe and why you believe. We don't tell you what to believe. We want you to determine this for yourself by giving you what the Bible says, what philosophy reinforces, history is shown to be true, so that you are strengthened. Because in the end, it's your faith that matters the most. Now, we are going to celebrate Mother's Day today, and it is a great holiday. Have you ever wondered why Mother's Day is always on a Sunday? Christmas is on different days. The 4th of July is always on different days. President's Day can fall on different weekends, but not Mother's Day. It's always on a Sunday. Why is that? Well, little history. This guy who looks kind of dour and so serious... He was Woodrow Wilson, the president of the United States. And it was in the early 1900s, right before World War I and then through World War I. And uh, on 1914, he issued this proclamation. Here's an actual picture of it. You won't be able to read it up on the screen, but basically it says that he has a joint resolution approved on May 8th, 1914, designating the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. Now, the reason why they chose Sunday and not a floating day like a day of the month is because the movement for this started in the church. The woman who advocated for a day where we would honor mothers was a gal by the name of Anna Jarvis. We'll talk about her more later on in the message, but right now it was her advocacy over a long period of time that that eventually ended up in Woodrow Wilson recognizing the second Sunday in May to be the day we honor moms. And the principle behind it is this, is what we honor is what we value. What we honor is what we value. And values are the things that give our lives meaning and purpose. Values are the foundations on which you can build a family, you can build a marriage, you can build a a business or a career or a neighborhood or a city or a state or a nation. Without values, we are 
adrift. So we always want to honor what we value because values are the foundation of meaning and purpose in our lives. And guess what? People who do what I do used to love Mother's Day because it was a low-hanging softball that you could just knock out of the park. Who doesn't want to get up and talk about, oh, moms are awesome, and we love moms, and it's just so cool, and we show baby pictures of us when we were little, and everybody goes, oh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, not anymore. I think being a mom right now is probably a little harder emotionally and intellectually, not physically. You know, healthcare is the best it's ever been. There's a lot of... uh, other things, opportunities for women that have grown exponentially and opened up doors. But emotionally, and I'd say spiritually, it's harder to be a mom today and feel really great about what you're doing for a couple of reasons. But I'd like to point out that our society that proclaimed Mother's Day as a day to honor moms no longer considers motherhood important. As a matter of fact, many of our leading cultural influencers are trying to move motherhood off the table of discussion and influence. Now, how do I know that? Well, first and foremost, one of the, a big movement within our culture over the last 30, 40 years is modern-day feminism. And modern-day feminism doesn't honor motherhood. In 1976, the feminist icon. Her name is Simone de Bouvier. If uh, you've been exposed to any type of feminist teaching or ideology, she is like the leader of it. And she wrote, and I quote, no woman should be authorized to stay home to raise her children. No woman should be authorized to stay home and raise her children. Women should not have that choice because if there is such a choice, too many women would take it which I find odd. I thought the point of feminism was to give women choices, but no, they they have another agenda. Now, someone say, Pastor, you're not being fair because that was 50 years ago. Well, Sarah uh, Le Margand, who is a feminist leader, she is the editor-in-chief of the largest magazine in Australia and Europe today. It's widely read, and she says, we should make it a legal requirement that all mothers work. Once their kids hit school age, they should be gainfully employed. Now, someone might say, well, that's not fair, Pastor, because that's Australia and European, and Europeans are so European. (laughs) This is America. Well, one of the largest icons of feminist ideology is Camille Paglia. She's written extensively on it. She has identified predominantly throughout her life as a lesbian, and now she identifies she says, as a transgendered person. And she wrote a book called Free Men and Free Women, and she states specifically that feminism has zero regard for motherhood. So I think this movement in our culture makes it more difficult for moms to really feel valued in what they are doing in raising their children. And the university system is no better. You know, more women go to university now than men by a large margin. Uh, Bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, even doctorates are awarded to more women than men today. But in the university system today, gender fluidity is all the rage. Harvard Medical School, Harvard Medical School said this, not all who give birth are women. 
I thought you were in medical school. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand how that can be an affirming and valuing thing, first of all, to women in general and to mothers in particular. You'd think that the mainstream media would be supportive, but they're not. As a matter of fact, one little trick that I know most moms use, and I know lots and lots of dads use it, probably more dads than moms, and that is on occasion you turn on some cartoons so you can get some chores done, right? A few cartoons, engage them for just a little bit so that I can take out the trash and wash the dishes or mow the lawn or whatever you need to do. Well, Cartoon Network has jumped on the bad wagon. They declare that there are so many genders out there, and so mom is not a mom and dad is not a dad anymore. This is the Cartoon Network. Eight-year-olds in the UK are being taught in public school that boys menstruate just like girls. People are like, no way! On our app, where I have all the message notes, these things are all documented. It's, it's an amazing thing. A salty pastor, I talk about these on the podcast that I do and how crazy it's getting out there. You know, this one, this last one I'm going to share with you is really painful to share. So I want you to be ready for it. Country Western music has more songs about trucks, girls, beer, and dogs than they do about moms. <laughs> Just saying. When country Western music, the icon of American culture. Oh, that breaks my heart to say it. Now, why would I point that out? On Mother's Day, because right here and right now, the last community in American society shall light a candle in the dark and we shall honor and value our moms. We're going to value who they are, what they do, the role they play, because we love moms. Yeah, give it up for the moms. <laughs> you know, the Bible's filled with examples of moms and mothers. You know, you look back at Abraham and Sarah just a few chapters into Genesis, and the whole story of how the nation of Israel started was all a story about Sarah becoming a mom. You look at Jacob and Esau and what happened in their whole relationship, and you'll notice that Rebecca the mom was intimately involved with all of that and how uh, Jacob stole the blessing from Esau. We could go through uh, story after story after story in the Old Testament, but let's jump to the New Testament. Everybody knows that the story of Jesus and all of the Gospels all begins with who? Mary, his mom. The story of Timothy, when you read back in there, Timothy was a disciple of Paul, and he was a pastor at one time of the church in Ephesus. And the letters that Paul wrote to him, First and Second Timothy, are known as pastoral epistles, meaning pastoral letters. And the reason why is because Paul was writing to Timothy, teaching him how to be a good pastor. And in it, Paul says this. He says, the faith that exists in you is because of your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. You may not know this, but Timothy is also the one credited with compiling all the books of the New Testament, collecting all the letters of Paul, all of the Gospels, the book of Acts, eventually the book of Revelation, and bringing them together in a canon. So moms are highly 
valued in the Bible. And compared to ancient literature, if you read all the other literature that's out there that was written at that time or before, one thing just glares out at you in broad daylight, and that is this, is that the Bible is one of the most affirming books of women and talks about the role of moms and women in the development of not only the gospel story, but history and society as well, more than any other ancient literature. Now, there's lots to choose from, but I chose 1 Peter chapter 3. And the reason why is because 1 and 2 Peter were written by Peter the apostle, and he was writing to a church in the second half of the first century that was being persecuted. The church uh, the Roman Empire had discovered was not a part of Judaism. It wasn't kind of subset of it. And so they took a hostile position against it. Then in Judaism, they took a hostile position against it. So the church, early church was getting crushed from both sides. And so Peter writes over and over again in his letters how to stand up to all of this persecution and suffering. And he talks to all different groups. He talks to groups that hold, to church, how you can live a godly life in a pagan society. He talks about suffering for doing the right thing, how to live for God in each and every day, whether you're a husband and a father, or whether you are a mother or a wife, or you're a church leader or business operator. And one of the things I want to pull out here real quick is in chapter 3, beginning with verse 3, is he says some really short things that are really powerful for women in general and moms in particular. And this is what he says, verse 3. He says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment. Now, I want you to notice a couple things about this, is one of the things that it means to be created in the image of God as a female is that there is an innate drive within the vast majority of females to be attractive, right? They are attractive. And so what he's saying is that your emphasis on wanting to be attractive is not misplaced. However, if you only focus on the outward parts of being attractive, the clothes you wear, your hair, those types of things, then what's going to happen is that will fade, What's, what about you can be so attractive that it never fades? Listen to what he says. He says, do not focus on elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. There's a lot of husbands out there going, yes, we got room in the budget now for a new motorcycle. <laughs> no, doesn't mean that. He just simply says, rather, I'd like you to know this. It should be that. This is where an unfading beauty comes from. He says, your emphasis should be on that of your inner self and unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. Now, why would he say that in verse 5? Why would he say the holy women of the past? What does that mean? Well, if you were listening to him or you were reading what he wrote and you were a first century woman, what you would be thinking of is you would th be thinking of the women who were heroes of your history, right? You, you, you don't remember people that you've never met and never heard of. 
So let's kind of illustrate that for us today. If I were to say, you know, I'm thinking of Betsy Ross, people would think, oh, the seamstress who sewed the first colonial flag in America. And you'd think, wow, that's why we have the red, white, and blue is because of her. Or if I were to say Florence Nightingale, you might remember that she is the woman who built our modern day hospital system. She totally revolutionized as a nurse how hospitals were structured, how they were run, and brought the quality of care from here all the way up to here. Or I might say to you, Mother Teresa. And you're thinking, wow, that was a woman who gave dignity to those who were dying in India. And people think of her and her character, even though she has passed away. So Peter is saying, when you think of women that are heroes in our past, why do you think of them? Nobody remembers what Betsy Ross looked like. They don't remember how tall she was or what clothes she wore or the color of her hair, but they remember the quality of her character and what she did. Nobody remembers what Florence Nightingale looked like, but they all remember the quality of her character, the statements she made, and the impact she made on the history of Western civilization. When you think of Mother Teresa, you may not even remember what she looks like, but you remember who she was and the character. You see, Peter is saying that the holy women of the past, the icons, your heroes that you look back and you think of, what made them so attractive, what made them so rememberable was not things on the outside, but it was the quality of their character, the inner beauty. And then he, go, he tells us what is inner beauty. And he tells us two basic things. He says, when you focus on the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So if you were a woman living in the first century and you spoke Greek, that was your common language, and you heard or, uh, Peter say this or you read what Peter said, what would you hear in your own mind? How would it hit you, so to speak? Well, the Greek word for gentle is praus, and it means a sense of spirit that operates in a gentle manner. Another word for this is meekness. Now, when our kids were, our older kids now are married, but when they were young, you know, they're younger than five, is they loved, you know, puppy dogs and kittens and stuff like that. And so whenever there was a little puppy dog or there was a little kitten or something like that, you know, these little ones, they always run over there. They're so excited. And the first thing they want to do is they pick the puppy up by the tail, you know, and kind of start jerking it around. You go, no, 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 you need to be what? Gentle. You know, they go over to the cat and they grab it and they set it down. And they start pulling the fur out of the cat. No, 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 don't do that. You got to be gentle. Why do you have to teach three and four-year-olds to be gentle with kittens and puppies? Because they don't know their own strength. In the same way, it's very important to understand a weak person cannot be a gentle person. Only a strong person can be a gentle person. And so what Peter is saying is that women 
you are so much stronger than you think. Your influence is so much broader than you think. So you need to learn to be gentle. You know, I know a lot, a lot of married guys. Okay? Now, a lot of these guys would all say, well, you know, my goal is to live, you know, for my faith. But they also have another principle that they banter around quite often. So when you're saying, hey, let's go do such and such and such and such, they'll say, well, let me run it by my wife. And then they always follow up, because you know, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. <laughs> I call that power. It's power. You want to see grown men and grown teenage boys cower? Just upset mom. Right? So the point being is that you, in many ways, are more powerful than you think. And Peter is saying, learn to develop your character of gentleness because your influence will grow and you will bring honor that is beautiful and unfading throughout eternity. The second thing he says is quiet, okay? The Greek word for, hesuk, uh, for uh, uh, quietness is hesukias. And hesukias is basically two words smashed together. The first half of the word means firm and steadfast. And the second half of the word is a different word that means to possess. All right? Um, and the way, the flavor of that word to possess is like grab a hold of it and own it. So it's kind of like this when, um, like, uh, if you're at a wedding, you know, and the ladies go out there and say, I'm going to go dance. And your girlfriends look at you and say, you go own it, man. You go own the dance floor. And they're like, I'm going to get my job going. Right? It's kind of like that. Go own that, girl. So what he's saying is very important. He's saying, look, you are steadfast, firm, and you need to own that. And so what he's getting at is this. is If you were in the first century hearing this, what you would hear him say is you would hear him saying, is, look, you need to know who you are. You need to understand what your mission in life is, where your identity comes from as a woman, and you need to grab a hold of it and own it. See, this is where security comes from. The one thing that, that Satan uses to plague women and moms in particular is insecurity. And when women feel insecure, then their behavior or their commitments become insecure as well. So he's saying, I want you to be secure. Learn how to be secure in Christ because it's your character, your soul, the inside of you that makes you strong and eternally beautiful. And this is what Anna Jarvis saw in her mother and why she advocated so diligently for decades that a day would be dedicated to honor her mother. This is Anna Jarvis. She was born in 1864, and she passed away in 1948. And what's really interesting about her story is that she was the ninth of 11 children. So her mom gave birth to 11 children, and guess what? Seven of those children died in infancy or early childhood. So if you were a mom and you'd given birth to a number of children and you'd lost more than half of them to death in infancy, what would that do to you too as a mom? Just think about how the heartache that that would be. How I mean, talk about being hit, a gut punch by life. 
Seven times this happened to Anna Jarvis's mom. But she says her mom was an unwavering example of courage in the face of tragedy. She says her mom refused to cower in fear, and when it came to living, she dedicated her life to serving people in her community, active in her church, educating, starting relief efforts. She says, my mom was unbelievably strong. He said she tirelessly lived out her faith in the service of her community, women, mothers, and families. She even wrote this quote. It's up here, and I'll read it to you. And it says, I hope and pray that someone sometime will found a memorial Mother's Day commemorating her for the matchless service. See that phrase, matchless service, she renders to humanity in every field not just one area, but across the board of life. She is entitled to it. What a testimony to her mom. Talk about a gentle and quiet spirit. That woman was one tough cookie. So moms, on this day, though the world in which you live is looking down on you being a mom, your church is here to say, we honor you and your strength. We honor you when you conceive and then you carry that child for nine months, wondering each day when you get up, what in the Lord's name's gonna happen to my body today? (laughs) And then when you go and give birth to that new life, they call it labor for a reason. They don't call it a day spa trip. No, they don't call it girl time. They call it what? Labor. I know a lot of guys. You know, the new thing now is men to be in there, you know, with their wives and helping out. And they're just like, man, the things my wife said to me when she was giving birth, you know, the anesthetist was late and things were a little hairy in there and she's looking at me screaming, why did you do this to me? We're never doing this again, never, never. And then suddenly, you know, she's holding that baby and then in 10 months she starts saying things, man, I think, I, I think we need another. And he's going, man, I'm still in counseling from the stuff you said to me the first time. Right? So moms, we honor you and your strength, you know, sleepless nights. You had had no idea that you could function on two hours of sleep for five years, right? You are strong, stronger than you think. Don't let the evil one convince you otherwise. We honor that. We honor your faith. You know, your legacy of faith is the one thing that is eternal, The prayers you pray, the scriptures you read, the statements you make, the words of blessing and affirmation, the correction and the prophetic or apostolic statements to your kids. Kids like, if you do that again, I will kill you, (laughs) right? Those, Those are statements of faith about who they were meant to be and become. I'm raising a human being that I want to be proud of as a mom for the rest of my life. We honor your legacy of faith 
You see, the faith of my mom, sitting right down here, has inspired me to become what I have become today. Not a guy who tells bad jokes and has bad haircuts, but a guy who (laughs) preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we honor you, moms, in your faith. Moms, we honor your steadfastness. We honor your commitment that there's always a right and there's always a wrong. When we live in a world of no longer day and night, but a constant twilight of anything and everything goes, young people grow up more confused, and it's always mom that says there's some things people in this family with our name just don't do. And these are things in our family that we always just do. Man, your steadfastness, mom, when you were that way is a blessing, and we honor you for that. But most importantly, we honor you for your love. We honor you for your endless hope and love, not only of your own children, but of the world in which you live. The greatest thirst of the human soul is love. And God has designed you to be the conduit in many ways in which all of us learn and embrace what true and authentic love was meant to be. So we honor you, moms, because it is you and you alone that hold the chalice of our future, the cup of hope. You are special and loved, not because of what you've done but because of who God it is. It is God who has called you and blessed you as a mom, and it is Jesus Christ and him alone that has redeemed you and restored you. It is the Holy Spirit now living within you that affirms your value in the eyes of God, given to you as a deposit, a holy kiss, from your heavenly Father. And as you embrace this love of Jesus Christ and you answer the call of who and what he's designed you to be and to become, the stewards of our future, it is you who through which we shall discover a part of God we may have never known. Your commitment of faith, of what God has done in you is so valuable because when tenderness is lost, all respect is lost. Respect for one another, respect for human life, or respect for friendship, family, societies, nations, countries are lost when a godly mother doesn't show up. When tenderness is lost, oh, when tenderness is lost, Nothing is left that brings us together as family, our friends. Violence increases. Hatred for one another increases. Division increases. All of this is what will rule the day of our nation when a godly mother doesn't show up. You, You are the godly mother that we need right here and right now. Girls are insecure. Boys are out of control. Women will be lost. Men completely confused when a godly woman and mother doesn't 
show up. So every woman, we are here if we're the last bastion on the planet to say we honor you and we value you. So whether you became a mom intentionally or accidentally, we honor what Jesus calls you to be. We honor what you can become. We honor what you have done and we want to inspire you to greater heights Greater heights of hope, compassion, gentleness, and strength. So be, be the woman God has called you to be. The world may seek to denigrate who and what you are, but here in the living church of God, we know the truth. You are the image of God, and you are are the vessel of our blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.